Well, ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. This is Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am Jim Grant, and we are coming to you from 233 Broadway. Now, that's in the Woolworth Building. We have moved back, Grant has moved back to the place where we started, which I guess, I don't know, does it represent progress? Well, I, well, we'll find out. Uh, with me today, as usual, it's uh, Eric Whitehead in the dials, the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grant's, and Phil Grant, who... Um, writes and, and propels into the ether, into the digital ether, the almost daily grant, the indispensable, almost daily summary of things financial. So, uh, gentlemen, welcome back to the new year. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to grants. We've been on vacation, and then we came back, and we did some typing, and we just published a new issue. And I don't know, things are, how do you think, think things are going, Evan, you know, speaking as an employee of mine? Pretty good? Perfect. I would, yeah, I would, I would concur with that. Yeah, we have a few things on the agenda today. I think that uh, Evan has a few words on the uh, state of the restaurant world. And um, I, for my part, have a couple of things to get off my chest. And uh, among those things are grateful words to our sponsors, uh, which include uh, Pitney Bowes and Zip Recruiter. And more about them in a moment. But uh, first, did you, Evan, did see the, um, uh, this is just new on the Wall Street Journal, I think it's only up on the website, but there is a story about the uh, lack of uh, women in the economics profession, the inhospitality of that profession towards women, and uh, questions raised by Ben Espernaki, Ph.D., and Janet Yellen, Ph.D., what are we going to do about it? And all this got me thinking about uh, economics, uh, economists, their conceits, and the nature of diversity in central banking. And uh, this might take uh, 45 minutes or an hour. Like, uh, this, this is a, a very important set of topics. And I'm going to begin with an economic observation that Evan, you called my attention to this morning, which is that uh, Jay Powell, Jerome Powell himself, chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, is saying there's not going to be a recession in 2019. Is that a correct quotation, Evan? Yeah, he basically said there's uh, no chance of a recession this year. Yeah. Evan, what is the National Weather Service saying about the chances of a hurricane in 2019? I'm sure they're saying there'd probably be one. Yeah, I suspect in the humility of physical scientists, they, they're saying it's, it's, it's indeterminate at this point. The contingencies and complexities being so great. And bear in mind, this is the National Weather Service that uh, makes uh, like 77 billion observations data a year. That's computers, the power of which is 10,000 times a Dell on your desk. And uh, I don't know. So Jay Powell, not exactly an economist, but uh, uh, investment banker and lawyer doing business as an economist is, is guaranteeing no recession. It's like, a, what did Joe Namath guarantee the Jets victory? What, uh, oh, uh, 1968, Super Bowl three. Yeah, yeah. Namath was correct. We'll see more about um, Jay Powell's call. But I say to start with that it's foolhardy and irresponsible to, to claim anything having to do with human affairs a year out. Just ridiculous. And Evan, I think you sent me, I, I confess, ladies and gentlemen, I am not a 233 Broadway, although I am paying the rent. I am in Sahara, New York, uh, where it is eight degrees above zero and the wind is howling 18 miles an hour. That's where Eric Whitehead actually wants to be because Eric, as you know, well, Eric is, is, is um, disappointed that he can't go to Pyongyang. He's nodding right now in agreement. Yeah, there's a, apparently there's a, some difficulty with North Korean-American relations. But Eric, you know, the Somalia, I gather, is uh, is available. There's a day's in Somalia. Probably a little more temperate. That. Yeah. But anyway, the um, uh, I think I saw and uh, that economists elsewhere outside the Federal Reserve Building are saying that the risk of recession is the highest. In six, in six years. years. Uh, this is what Bloomberg says. Yeah. Analysts surveyed by Bloomberg yeah. over the past week see a median 25% chance of a slump in the next 12 months, up from 20% in the December survey. Well, we'll know more in, um, what, four or five years, I guess we always say. Finally, on this question of diversity, this is a little bit of a sore point around here at Grants. And um, 
I refer the readers of Grants to uh, the issue of uh, our journal dated May 20th, 2016, and, and the headline is For Monetary Diversity. And the burden of the piece was that uh, kind of diversity that would leave the monetary establishment constructively rattled. The economic establishment is seemingly undisruptible. It is either governmentally sponsored or academically protected through tenure. So I'm not going to a paragraph, and you're going to have to listen to it, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what you signed up for. Okay, here it is. What's wanted is a call to the kind of diversity that would leave the monetary establishment constructively rattled. Let the new hires, Hispanic, African-American, Asian women, men, what have you, demonstrate an independent turn of mind. Let them question 21st century dogma. Who says that falling prices are intrinsically bad or that the definition of stable prices is a 2% rate of inflation? Who says that ultra-low interest rates stimulate business activity or that administered rates are better than the ones markets discovered? Require professional-level job applicants to address the following question in an essay of 500 words or less. What's money and who says so? Yeah, that is the grants interest rate program for and I know one thing about it. It ain't going to be adopted at the Federal Reserve. That's my, my one certain prediction for the year 2019. Anyway, that's the end of the sermon, Evan. And uh, before we hear from you concerning I don't know, McDonald's and other such important market-moving topics, I want to help our listeners understand a few things about our uh, sponsors, uh, uh, Pitney Bowes. And the thing we're, we're promoting on the part of Pitney Bowes is something called SendPro, SendPro Online. Now, this is an online software that helps you save time and money. No matter what you send, letters packed is overnight, flat, angry letters to the editor, what have you. And you'll always pay the right amount. It comes with a free 10-pound scale. Now, isn't that kind of a, a heavy piece of machinery? Yeah, certainly is. Oh, you know what? I, I, I think, I think it only weighs up to 10 pounds. Weighing up to 10 pounds, yeah. But it might yeah, weigh 10 pounds okay. itself. It's really unclear. I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, we, we, what we want is clarity in the copy we read. It comes with a free 10-pound scale that weighs and calculates rates for you. Plus, you can compare options between UPS, USPS, and FedEx right at your fingertips. So on January 27, 2019, the Postal Service is going to put up rates, unlike the Fed. But just by using SendPro Online, you get discounts up to 40% off Postal Service prior priority mail shipping and get five cents off every letter you send. No additional equipment needed. Just log onto your computer and use your own printer to print shipping labels and stamps. SendPro Online is only $14.99 per month, and listeners get a free 30-day trial when you visit pb.com slash grantspot. That's PB. That's peanut butter. Not, not peanut butter, but pb.com slash grantspot. You'll get that free 10-pound scale that might weigh less than 10 pounds, and it will ship to you at no additional cost to help you weigh your packages and letters. Experience the convenience of SendPro Online and try it out for free at pb.com slash grantspod. You know, my um, old editor at Barron's, uh, oh, he wasn't old then, but my former editor, the late Robert M. Bleiber at Barron's, uh, uh, issued a, a kibosh on the word experience. And he had a great, great booming stentorian voice, and he'd say, we don't experience anything at Barron's. We enjoy it or we suffer it. You know which one he preferred. Yeah. That was then. So, Evan, tell us about what is happening at McDonald's. Well, so McDonald's, just to frame everything, has one of the most profitable franchisee systems in America. Its uh, restaurants typically do some of the highest, you know, dollar volume of any of the uh, brands out there. And the franchisees have not been happy. 
In fact, a recent survey says nearly 9 out of 10 franchisees in the survey said they were unsatisfied with their cash flows, including 69% who say they're very unsatisfied with their cash flows. And the reason why this matters is if McDonald's franchisees aren't doing good, it pretty much means that most franchisees aren't doing pretty good. One issue that Grants has been focusing on the last two years is the very high multiples that Wall Street has afforded to franchisors who collect a royalty stream and the deteriorating economics of, of franchisees. The bad blood in between McDonald's and its franchisees has actually gotten so bad that uh, last year the franchisees formed their own independent um, franchisee association that is not associated with McDonald's. And this week, that franchisee association sent an email to its member saying, to put it bluntly, stop everything that is not currently in the works. They're essentially telling McDonald's that we're not gonna do any of the renovations that McDonald's is hoping they'll do in order to boost sales, in order to boost the royalty income they're getting. And just to give you a backdrop of what's happening in the restaurant world in general, TDN2K is a um, data analytics um, company focused on the restaurant industry. They announced today that December same-store sales for the entire restaurant industry grew 2%. And this is them saying this was the highest since August of 2015, simply 2%. Basically, meeting inflation is the highest sales growth that they've, uh, they've had since 2015. So the industry isn't really growing. There's been a lot of expansion in terms of new restaurants, and the franchisees are basically starting to buckle under the uh, expectations that they keep investing and reinvesting in their stores in order to basically put up um, you know inflation or subinflationary growth the um, other the other takeaway of course which I guess I've already kind of um, implied is that just to say it directly is that if if, if McDonald's franchisees you know the, the the cream of the crop if the franchisors are, are struggling then um, you know what does that leave the second tier the third tier uh, probably not in any yeah. better shape and this actually circles back to something that, that John so. hamburger the uh, president of restaurant finance monitor said at the Grand Spring conference essentially you can't have all the economics tilted just on the franchisor side Essentially, something has to give, and it seems like now is the moment where this is starting to happen. What is happening in Canada, there's certainly no uh, love lost between the franchisors and franchisees at, uh, and some of the establishments. Um, yeah, Tim Hortons was the, uh, was the big one. Yeah, there's been a um, long, slow grind there. Um, uh, Tim Hortons, which is owned by Restaurant Brands International, which also manages Popeye's um, Kitchen and uh, Burger King, has been kind of in a long slugfest with its own franchisees. Uh, two years ago, the franchisees formed their own association. In retaliation, um, Tim Hortons has actually yanked the restaurant of the um, founder of the independent association away from him. Um, there's a lawsuit in the works where the franchisees are alleging that uh, the company misused, amongst other things, ad dollars and basically have padded their own bottom line at the expense of the franchisees. That's still working in the system, but that's another long, slow burn. And Tim Hortons is kind of like the McDonald's of uh, Canada. It's a, a very large association with very high unit volumes. And again, when you see something like this, the, the leaders of the pack suffering, then it doesn't really bode well for the rest of the industry. Yeah. Hey, um, we had um, in, uh, in Buffalo, New York, there was an event on Wednesday evening. It was an event uh, staged at the Albright Knox uh, Gallery which is one of the premier art museums uh, in the Northeast. Indeed, I, I think it's one of the premier art museums in the country. And uh, the reason for it was, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a, a deeply contrarian meeting of the uh, following three organizations, uh, 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 Jeff Glimlack, money management firm Double Line, and uh, Barron's and Grant's. And most interesting were Jeff Gunlack's remarks on what he sees coming ahead. And Phil was there too, and he might correct me or add to this, but uh, Jeff was uh, kind of intriguingly, uh, prospectively bullish on emerging markets. He sees that, uh, in a kind of a technical analysis, he made the case that uh, EMs might be uh, making an important bottom, and that uh, if the dollar weakens as he expects it might, uh, these things are all couched in possibilities rather than certainties. Uh, we might see surprises uh, to the upside in things that are sensitive to the dollar exchange rate 
like emerging market equities. That was one thing. And, and uh, after uh, the hour and a half program, uh, the word gold had uh, not having come up. Somebody asked Jeff about his view. And uh, he said that, well, actually, he said um, that he, uh, one of his main calls in the year is uh, GDX, which is, uh, of course, one of the ETFs for gold bullion. So that's kind of cool. And afterwards, afterwards, um, from far and wide, I mean, they came away, they came from the um, middle of uh, Pennsylvania and we had one guy from Michigan, very flattering. And uh, one of the uh, farthest traveled contestants was Jonathan Pfluger, who was a chief strategist at Barron, which is a public affairs outfit in Washington. I think lobbying is uh, what public affairs mean in this case, but uh, Jonathan is the chief strategist. And he said, would you please incorporate in every podcast a book idea? I said, oh, good. That's a good idea. So what are you reading? So what I'm reading is uh, something called uh, Sovereignty and an Empty Purse. And the author is Bray Hammond. Bray Hammond is the, uh, is the author of the Pulitzer Prize winning, truly magnificent history called uh, Banking, and, the Banking and Politics in America. Bank, Banks and Politics in America won the Pulitzer Prize in History in 1958. And the lesser known of those two major works, Sovereignty and an Empty Purse, is about uh, banks and politics in the Civil War. And this might seem a little bit far afield. Uh, I, I should caution everyone that this is a book you have to get in an online you know, book service like Abe Books. It's, it's way out of print. It's, uh, but you can get a copy if you're really so motivated. But I'll, I'll give you one of the highlights. Um, Ray Hammond, the author, quotes an advisor, to, well, a, a, a Jacksonian. I'm not sure if he's an advisor to Andrew Jackson, but he was of the Jacksonian school of monetary thought, which is that uh, there ought to be no centralized meddling in the world of money and credit. And here's a direct quotation from the aforementioned Mr. W.M. Gouch. All right. Having separated itself entirely from paper money banks, the United States government is no longer responsible for the evils they produce. For the correction of those evils, the people must look to the state governments by which those institutions, these, in fact, these institutions, that is the banks, have been created and by which they are sustained. The action of the U.S. government is necessarily negative in its nature and consists in having nothing to do with the fabrication of paper money. The less governments has to do with banks and the less banks have to do with government is better for both. All right. So that's that's the, um, the wisdom of the ages as expressed in the middle of the 19th century by Mr. W.M. Gouge, uh, a crazy idea that seems to have been wearing better these days than it had for some decades previous. And uh, I'll quote one last sentence by Mr. Gouge. The separation of the monies of the government from banking institutions is indispensable for the safety of the funds of the government and the rights of the people, period, close quote, bang. Yeah, so, um, which reminds me of ZipRecruiter. I don't know, it just does. Nice. Yeah. So, you know what's smart? What's hmm? uh, Kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. Well, that sounds, yeah, which reminds me. I wonder which of you guys uh, are filling the proper role that we hired you to fill. I want. I'll think about that later. But um, so what else is smart? And this is, the script says, I have to read this. So here it goes. You know what else is smart? I'll start in the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites TrustPilot with over 1,000 reviews. 
Um, and right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. And if you love this show, and Evan and Phil and Eric, you do, right? I love this show. Yeah, yeah, okay. Good. Okay. Just want to make sure. If you love this show, show your support to it at ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. G-R-A-N-T. It says spell out grant. I could do that. I've had practice. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So here we are at a new address, a new year, and um, I got to, you know, I, you're supposed to have new ideas, right? I mean, that it, it, it says that somewhere, that every new year you must have a set of new ideas. And I was on CNBC a couple of weeks ago, and I was taxed by one of the on-air personalities with the absence of new ideas. Uh, in fact, there was a, there was a, I, I, I could... Between the lines of the question, I could detect a certain sarcasm about my predictable line with respect to credit, phony interest rates, and the consequences thereof. Uh, so my new idea for 2019, defiantly, is the same damn idea we had in 2018, <laughs> which is that uh, 10 years of suppression of interest rates uh, have consequences, the nature of which are apparent, but the details of which are forever interesting and are likely to be forthcoming throughout the year. What do you say, Evan? I think it's good. I think we should commit to new ideas when there's a new Fed. Right. When, when things actually change. Somewhat to that point, um, uh, you know, speaking of, of the interest rate expectations, I looked up the uh, the effective Fed funds futures rate on Bloomberg today, as, as I have started to do on a daily basis and for good reason, because as of right now, the October 30th forward contract implies 19% uh, odds of a rate hike and 7% odds of a rate cut. Just a week ago, um, the same contract we were looking at uh, rate hike odds of just 6%, whereas the odds of a cut were 17. That's, again, a, a one-week a, a one lag time to, to basically flip our odds. Yeah. Uh, um, well, you know, this is the um, not giving away too much to the to those who have not yet subscribed to grants, but the page one piece of grants was in part, a part about, in part about uh, the, uh, the extraordinary volatility of expectations. You know, Evan, you help me out here. The stock market highs of September of 2018 – uh, the uh, imputed odds of a rate cut in the December 2019 Fed funds contract was, I think, 1%, no? Yeah, it was around 1%. And uh, so fast forward uh, six or eight weeks, I guess, and the uh, stock market's a little choppy and, and a little bit uh, downdrafty. And uh, along about Christmas time, the uh, odds imputed for a rate cut in the same December 2019 contract was in the order of 45 or 47%. Now, to me, what is interesting about this is it flies in the face of the received dogma within the central bank that inflation expectations are the thing to be managed. They must be anchored, goes the argument. Well, what's anchored about the market's expectations for Fed action? The Fed contends that its action is dispositive with respect to the rate of inflation after a suitable lag. But I don't know. We, Evan, I'm starting to think that the stock market is really the thing uh, that sets expectations. The Fed watching the stock market, and the stock market watches the Fed. And my conclusion, Evan and, and Eric and Phil, is that because the stock market is watching the Fed and the Fed is watching the stock market, what people really ought to watch is Grant's interest rate observer. You guys with me? <laughs> yes. Genius. Huh? I, I can't hear you. I, I think it's a fantastic idea. Right again, sir. Yeah. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2019 at Grant's. And I don't know, it's a, a pleasure to be around. And um, I just signed a, personally, I just signed a 10-year lead for at uh, offices at uh, at 233 Broadway, and I forget, Phil, uh, you're, you're in the family. Wait, I'm, I'm well, uh, 52 or 
Oh, no. Yeah. I am, okay, Something I'm 72 years old, just signed a 10-year lease, and people call me bearish. It's crazy. So for the next 10 years, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be hearing from us at this address, and uh, let's hear from you, too. Sign up for grants. Until next time, this is Jim Grant, along with uh, Evan and Phil and Eric. I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.